Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. And right to the end of the chapter. Y'all there? Starting in verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink. Nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles, or those that are outside of God's kingdom, they seek these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first, first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray again. Wow, Lord, you're ending chapter 6 on <clears throat> such a strong note, such a direct, speaking to the hearts of those who love you. Lord, you're devoting nine verses about this whole subject of worry. This is huge. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, this is the longest passage about one subject that you spoke in all the Sermon on the Mount. Nine verses about worry. So Lord, I just pray that you would just have our You'd have our ears and our hearts tonight. That we could so concentrate on you and your word that your word could accomplish its eternal purpose and plan in each of our lives. I pray we'd hear your voice speak through a human voice so that we could really hear from heaven tonight. And I pray that we would hear <clears throat> your call 
to yourself as clear as we hear this call from this ram's horn shofar. just so thankful for your presence. Thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you for that, Lord. Amen. <clears throat> In these ten verses, Jesus mentions the word worry six times. In ten verses. Jesus understands how devastating worry and fear are. He understands. And his word to us tonight is real simple. Real simple. Do not worry. Jesus overcame the temptation to worry. And here's the good news for us tonight. So can we. We can overcome the temptation to worry. We can. <clears throat> I think it's just so common. I've, I've heard this uh, countless times through other people, and I've even said it myself, well, I'm just so worried about, and fill in the blank. Uh, or with, <clears throat> using a different, I'm just so concerned about. Oh, I just care so much about. You know, with the mouth, it says, confession is made to salvation. And that's far bigger than just our contact point in meeting Jesus of confessing Him as Savior and Lord. We also need to have positive things come out of our mouth, rather than negative things. I'm so worried. That's a negative statement. I want us to have a positive confession with our mouths tonight by saying, I will overcome worry. You ready to do that? A big project here, folks. I will not worry. Are you ready? I will not worry. I will overcome worry. I will... Oh, oh, man. I'll tell you, some of you are so worried about this message, you're not even saying it. I will overcome worry. Let's hear it. I will overcome worry. I will not worry about tomorrow. Now, I pray that faith would accompany that, com that confession. I will not worry about tomorrow. Some people not only worry about tomorrow, they worry about next week. They worry about next month. In fact, some people are already worrying about next year. Whew. Friends, what the mind cannot contain, it will then immediately impose upon the body. So if your health is breaking down, worry might be a root problem of the cause. The Bible tells us to cast all our care onto Jesus. All of it. 
But the key to overcoming worry is to know that our Heavenly Father totally cares for us. That's the key. And Jesus said that to be anxious, to have anxious care about temporal needs such as food and clothing, Jesus makes it clear it's wrong. That's why he says, do not do it. Do not do it. It dishonors our loving, caring Father who knows our needs and he promises to provide for them if we will put him first in our lives. There's the condition. If we put him first, he'll supply all our need. Francis Chan once said, Worry implies that we don't quite trust that God is big enough or powerful enough or loving enough to take care of what's happening in our lives. I think that's true. Dr. Charles Mayo was the founder of the famous Mayo Clinic up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I like what he had to say about worry. He writes this. He says, There's a growing mountain of evidence to suggest that worry is the chief contributor to depression, to nervous breakdowns, to high blood pressure, to heart attacks and early death. Stress kills. This is what Charles Mayo said. He writes, I've never known a man to die from hard work. But I've known a lot of people to die from worry. Mathematically speaking, it doesn't make sense to worry. Psychologists tell us that roughly 30% of what we worry about never happens. 30%. And then another 30%, it's already happened. And 12% is about unfounded health concerns. And an additional 20% involves sweating all the small stuff. That leaves only 8%. Think about that. We worry 92% of the time for no good reason at all. You see how the natural man... Our old fleshly nature is at war with the things of the Spirit. If Dr. Mayo is right, that means that worry is killing us. No wonder Jesus has such a high emphasis of it that he has nine verses of it just at the end of Matthew chapter 6. He wanted to really emphasize this subject of worry because he knows the plague that it is in all humans. We have a default mechanism to worry. I like what Joyce Meyer once said. She said, worry is a down payment on a problem you may never have. I love Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. So Jesus is saying we're to seek after and pursue the lordship of God's Spirit in our lives. 
His kingdom come and His will be done in us. Not just in our family, but in us. His kingdom is His rule, His structure, His order. And seeking the kingdom of God above all else means making Jesus far more than Savior. He must be Lord and supreme king of our lives. That's what the kingdom is all about. It's giving him control over every area. Your work, your leisure time, your plans, your wealth, your relationships. It's putting him first in your life. And obeying him in everything. Can you see why we need the helper of Holy Spirit? For us to fulfill the commands of Jesus? It's impossible to do it in our own strength. We need the power of God's Spirit to fulfill the words of Jesus. Trust. Trust is an attitude. And it's an attitude that can be developed. We choose to trust God and to hope in Him. Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred or delayed makes the heart sick. So what we can read from this is that our hope gets sick or it gets damaged when it's placed in anything or anyone else. We had to go through that lesson, that hard life lesson, years ago living in Haifa, Israel. Janet was having severe headaches, horrific, even worse than migraines. We went to the top neurologist in Israel. We did everything you can possibly imagine, and we would have hope that maybe if we did this, uh, if we had hope in this doctor, uh, we, we, we hoped that it would happen. And God had to send a brother to come and stay with us for three weeks to totally transform our hope from any type of man or any type of thing to get it all back to where it belongs only in God. David writes, For you alone are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust from my youth. Psalm 71.5 He also says in Psalm 78.7 that they may set their hope in God. Set their hope in God. And forget not the works of God, but keep His commandments. Friends, we need to put all, all, our hope in God. That's where it belongs. So let's set our hope in the right place tonight. Again in Psalm 42, David cries out, Hope thou only in God. When we hope in any other thing, we're open for disappointment and it's misdirected and misplaced. And hope deferred makes the heart sick. We put it in the wrong place. Our heart is not going to be pure. So don't let your family culture or worldly culture and its weaknesses define you. Don't let this world squeeze you into its mold. Instead, diligently pursue 
the culture of God's kingdom. The former youth pastor that recently just moved up to in the DFW area, he was our youth pastor for seven years. He was in one of the discipleship groups that I had a number of years ago. And for a few weeks, I really focused on the kingdom and the culture of the kingdom. And that was how um, we had to really bring that mindset into the drug rehab that we had up in Haifa, Israel. And he liked that concept of the kingdom culture so much that for all of the youth ministry, he all made them masks. It says kingdom culture. I thought, that's a great thing. Let's breathe out the kingdom culture and let's breathe it in. Kingdom culture, yeah, let's take it off. You can breathe a lot better. The culture of the kingdom. So I want to encourage you, fill your thoughts with the word of God. Pattern your life after, after Jesus. Align your ways and your attitudes with his. And here's the promise we get tonight. If we will seek God's kingdom, his rule, his reign, and his righteous living by totally trusting and having faith in, we do that first. He will supply all our needs. Wow, glory to his holy name. And verse 33 also says, all these things will be added unto you. I really hadn't noticed this before, but God will add to us what we need. And the word add in Greek, it means add more or increase or give more. So God will give an increase or more to us even than what we need if we will put him first. Unfortunately, to our shame, we don't always trust that God is going to do what he says. That's why we worry. With our finite minds, we judge the infinite God. Gee, that just sounds so ridiculous, doesn't it? But what we believe about the Lord directly affects our trust in Him. Most of us would say that we trust God, but I think we're all at times guilty of selective faith. What does that mean? Well, instead of having an overall total trust and confidence in God, we trust him only in certain areas or situations. For instance, we might trust God to protect us, but we don't trust him to meet our financial needs. We might trust him to comfort us, but not guide our decisions. We may trust him for healing, but not necessarily the grace that might be needed to endure suffering. Our dependence on God may be partial rather than all-inclusive. We tend to believe God is who we think He is, rather than to trust Him to be who He reveals Himself to be in the Scriptures. And this is why we need our minds renewed in the Word of God. 
Be renewed in the spirit and the way in which you think, Paul writes in Romans 12. We got to totally be rewired in our thought process. We need to replace our worldly thinking with thoughts that line up with the Scripture. Now, if you have your Bible in front of you, I want you to just take your Bible in both hands. Since mine is on an iPad, I'll just lift this up. God reveals himself in this holy book. This book that you are holding is holy to him. In fact, it used to be called the Holy Bible. Because it is. It's the word of God. And his word is holy. What he says about himself is true. There is no deception in God. But when we question the scriptures, we're guilty of what the Hebrews writer Chapter 3, verse 12 says, We're guilty of a wicked heart of unbelief. Unbelief is often at the root of anxiety or worry. We have a system of belief. And if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, it's unbelief. It's not the proper belief system. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And the heart is the soul. It's the affections. It's our beliefs. It's our values. It's our thoughts. The soul is the inner man. And verse 5 says, With all that you are, trust in the Lord. I like how the Amplified Bible defines faith as the leaning of the entire human personality on God in absolute trust and total obedience and confidence in His power, His wisdom, and His goodness. We grow in our knowledge of God by reading the Scripture and through prayer. We grow in intimacy with Him as we seek Him in the midst of pain or hardship. Those are seasons of where we grow. And we find that He is a refuge in our times of trouble. He is our fortress. He is our rock, our deliverer. He's our hope. He's our strong tower. And we know that He is faithful because we have proven Him in our lives. We have experienced His faithfulness. Amen? Trusting God doesn't mean that we're not going to experience pain or difficulties. But it does mean that we believe God is at work through our pain for our ultimate good. That's where Romans 8.28 comes in. It means that we abandon our lives to His care, not in just some areas, but in all, every area. And if He gives us a pleasant cup to drink, we drink it with gratitude. But if it is a bitter cup that he chooses for us, then we drink it with grace and in communion with him. Trusting God fully is like signing a blank check. Handing it over to him and say, here, Father, you fill it in. This concerns anything. Employment, marriage, singleness, a housing situation, a ministry, whatever. 
I allow you to fill it in. I've already signed it. You know, I was reminded, uh, there was a lady on an Israel tour that Janet and I uh, were asked to come and be a part of. And there was this lady named Rena. Uh, she was a beautiful African-American worship leader from a church in Illinois. And her passion for Jesus was contagious. And she would often say out loud to the people on the tour, because she was a worship leader, she, and it was a, a group of about 40 or 50 from their local church in, in Illinois, they were used to her saying this, but she explained it for Janet and I. She said, I want you all to just raise your hands and say yes. And she would describe that even before you hear what the Lord's require of you, God's looking for a yes in your heart. A yes that says, yes, Father, I have come to do your will no matter what it is or where it takes me. Whatever he asks of you, lift your hands and say yes. So throughout those 12 days of the tour, here we were, 50 of us at some place, and all of a sudden, Rita would say, lift your hands and say yes. And you see 50 people go, yes! Now, I'm sure that looked pretty strange to a lot of Israelis that are very reserved. But it was absolutely incredible saying yes from place to place, morning, noon, and night. And it had a real impact on Janet and I. I can remember for months, I'd be at one end of the house and she'd be at the other. And all of a sudden I'd hear, yes. <laughs> and I knew exactly what was happening. There was something the Lord was challenging and she went, yes. It's that simple. It's a powerful word. Now there's a difference between forced surrender. All of you must lift your hands and we're all going to say yes. There's a difference between a forced surrender and an abandoned surrender. If someone came and put a gun behind our back and just said, stick them up, huh, I'll tell you, that's a forced surrender. But there's a huge difference if the Spirit is saying, lift them up. Lift them up. So as an act of abandoned surrender, I think it'd be really good for us all to do that. I bet you've never done this in a Baptist church. Lift your hands and say yes. 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 Do it again. Lift your hands and say yes. Now, that yes was pretty weak. Lift your hands and say yes. I know this is foreign to some of you. But I'll tell you, Father is looking for childlikeness, not childishness. An abandoned child comes to father like this almost all the time. And what does a father do? No, I'm not interested right now. Never. His arms immediately go out to embrace that act of surrender. And this is the place that God is leading us to, entrusting him so we won't worry. So we won't be over-concerned. Yes! Yes! Janet, we need to start doing that again. 
It's been a long time since so all of a sudden at the other end of the house I'd hear that. It's a great reminder. Listen, there is freedom in surrender. Yes. Amen. 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 Uh, one person said yes to that. There's total freedom in surrender. Yes. Totally, yes. God deserves our complete confidence. Yes. He's a good father. And he will always do what is best for us. Always. Always. Now sometimes what is best may not be comfortable. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, well, that's a hard yes to say. But we need to understand that sometimes his best leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. Pain and suffering and affliction is the way of the righteous. Amen. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is. He is God. He is Almighty. And that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. If we are to ever really please God, we must have complete confidence and faith in Him. Period. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> we must believe in His integrity. We must believe in His willingness and His ability to do what He has promised. He is capable to totally fulfill what He promised. And He's sovereign over all. Numbers 23.19 said, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent or change his mind on a whim. No, he has said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? On earth we have very limited vision. We can only see so much, and we can only see so far. But God can always see the big picture. Always. Always. That's why he knows what is best for us in the present, even though it doesn't even look like he's here in the present. Because he is sovereign over everything that concerns you. He's sovereign. You know what's so beautiful? We are his responsibility. He takes responsibility for those who have fully surrendered to him. I'll take responsibility. And we can be confident that regardless of the battle, the Lord's care for us is motivated and energized by perfect love. We can have peace. We can have shalom. Because of his love and faithfulness, to give us victory over all anxiety and all insecurity. He wants to deliver us from those evils. Isaiah 25. In a couple verses in Isaiah 26, the prophet cries out, O oh Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things. Your counsels are of old. 
and your faithfulness and truth abides forever. You will keep him in perfect peace, perfect peace, whose mind is stayed, whose mind is set on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty, is everlasting strength. What a prophetic word through Isaiah. Throughout God's people, from the day that God gave it to him to this day when you just heard it again. Trusting God includes many unknowns. Why? Because no boundaries are involved. Now, obeying God has boundaries. He said it. And we obey it. But trusting Him is open-ended. That's why we must choose to put our lives fully into His hands if we're ever going to be victorious over worry. Because that's abandoned surrender. Abandoned surrender. And it results in a lifestyle of worship. Easy to worship God throughout the day. Acknowledging that our Creator is greater and wiser than we are. And that He is worthy of all of our trust and all of our worship, all of our praise, all of our adoration. He's so worthy and more and more. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, he says, I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Now what day? The day of the Lord's return or the day when the Lord comes to take us home in death. Until that day, he is faithful. He is faithful. He is totally able to keep every surrendered moment. Hmm. Friends, it's, it's safe. It's safe to be fully committed to God. It's safe to totally trust in God our Father, in Jesus His Son, and God the Holy Spirit who lives inside all those who are called by His name. It's safe to commit our families and our futures to the Lord. It's safe. Lift your hands and say yes. 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 Lord, abandon surrender. Abandon surrender is what you're looking for. David said in Psalm 56, whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. And when I cry out to you, my enemies will turn back. This I know, because God is for me. In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. Wow. That's the heart of a man who is fully after God's heart who would do all of God's will. God wants to restore a tabernacle of David which has fallen down. 
Davidic passion, Davidic praise, Davidic adoration, Davidic surrender, Davidic abandonment. David was a man after God's heart. He was fully surrendered to God. We need a restoration of the tabernacle of David in our days. Now I'm so thrilled that it's prophetic. Both in Joel and in Acts it says there will be a restoration of the tabernacle of David. A Davidic happening is going to take place of passionate people after God. Who don't care about what men think. Who don't care about what anyone thinks because their whole focus and confidence is God and God alone. Absolute abandonment to the purposes of God. Precious disciples of Jesus, we must not let worries about our needs and our concerns tomorrow affect our relationship with God today. Because Jesus says it will. That's why he makes it so clear, do not worry. You know what that means? When we worry, we're disobedient. Because he commanded us not to do that. (laughs) And yet we've all done it. Some of us are doing it today. But the Lord is calling out to us tonight in a very special and passionate way. It is possible to live a life that is so abandoned to God that you don't have to worry about anything. Paul picked that up in Philippians 4. He said, be anxious for nothing. Nothing, nada. Be anxious for absolutely nothing. Now, he wouldn't have said that had he not come to a place of experience in it. Otherwise, he would have written that out of a hypocritical heart. He knew there was a place of total abandonment where you're not anxious about anything. Even if if the worst that you can imagine starts happening to you, you can trust and be confident that God is your mainstay. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer, talking to God about it, casting that care upon Him, casting that worry upon Him, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Lord, I know, you're, I know you're hearing my prayer. David had the confidence, when I seek the Lord, I know when I cry out to you, my enemies are going to be turned away. Now, it may not be today, but they will be turned away. That's the confidence that David had. God's wanting to really build in us trust and confidence in our God. By us getting a greater revelation of how really great he is. Well, Lord, I just... I confess that there are times that I... uh, um, I can worry. I don't use that word. But I know my heart. And I know there are times when my heart is is really wicked and worldly. Be anxious for nothing. 
Jesus, you made it so clear, do not worry. You have nothing to worry about. Because I, the Lord, am your confidence. I, the Lord, am your shield, your high tower. I, the Lord, am your refuge. I am your strength. And Lord, we're just so grateful for those promises of who you really are. Not who we think you are, but you are who your word says you are. Solar, tonight we just really want to confess the disobedience of worry. And we want to turn from that tonight. Lord, you, you somehow wanted to plant a seed in us of, of faith and trust. Abraham believed God. He had total trust and confidence in God, and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. So if we're seeking first your kingdom rule and your reign in our life, we're going to be believing in you because we're totally trusting that what we have submitted and given to you, you're going to be faithful to keep it until that day. So Lord, we pray that you'd really strengthen our lack of faith, our lack of trust, our lack of knowing you. For assuredly, the more that we know you, we can trust you more. The more we can see your greatness, your goodness, your almighty power, it's so much easier to totally trust you. So Lord, I pray that tonight you'd lift our faith, you'd lift our trust, so that the next time when we're tempted to worry, we would not yield. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bring to remembrance any pearl that Jesus spoke to us tonight by your Spirit through the ministry of your word. Lord, teach us to trust. Teach us to believe. Teach us to pray. And Father, I pray that all of us, each, each and every one of us, that we will seek your kingdom. We will seek your righteousness first, first, first in our lives. Not as a last resort. You will be our first source of refuge. Please, Almighty God, stir that within us that the moment trouble comes, we run to Father. The moment disappointment happens, we run to Father. That our default would be to go to Father. To feel your loving embrace, your kindness, and everything else you want to pour out unto us. Thank you that you promised, if we do, seek first. Your kingdom rule, your reign, and your righteousness. Everything, everything will be added to us. Everything that we need will be supplied. And thank you for your gracious goodness. So often you give us even more than what we need. You're that good of a God. You're that gracious. You're that kind. You're that generous. 
So we're grateful sons and daughters tonight. And now, Lord, we just pray that you'd have sweet fellowship with us as we share in small groups. That we'd have a kindredness, a, a wonderful koinonia, a real communion of the saints, a real harmony, a, a real enjoyment of sharing one with another. And that you would be pleased when your sons and daughters gather together and have Jesus in the center of your discussion. Blessed be your glorious name, Lord. We love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen.